Well, welcome, Beach Point. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor of Community Life here at the Fountain Valley Campus. I'm so excited that you're here this morning. We're continuing in our series, Hope Arising. And we're looking at how hope changed the world as it rose up within a few people in the early stages of the church through the book of Acts. Now, I don't know about you, but I love like short, pithy sayings, right, that you can say and people kind of like, oh, yeah, that's deep, right? One, because it makes me sound way smarter than I actually am. Um, but two, because they're so easy to use as a pastor, right? Like, you know, uh, two lefts don't make a right, but three do, right? You know, um, and stuff like, uh, <clears throat> you know, hey, uh, you know, one in the hand's better than Two in the bush, right? Um, you know, there's all sorts of these phrases. And some of them are like, who came up with that? That's just ridiculous. Uh, you know, or as my son said, and if you pay attention, you'll get this. He said, you know, half a dozen on the one hand, five on the other. <laughs> and I was like, sure. Huh. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> There'll be a couple people who'll be like, oh, yeah, in just a second. So, but one of the phrases that I really love that's been true in my life so, so often, and is, uh, it's not from scripture, but it's an ancient Chinese proverb, and I, I'll throw it up here on the screen. It says this, if you want to get to know someone, first get to know their friends. Throughout my life, this statement has been true time and time and time again. When I was in a bad place in my life and in my faith, you could tell Because I wasn't running to places that were encouraging, that were supportive. I was running to places that I knew I could get away with it. Right? Uh, In the same way, if I was in a good spot, you could tell because the people I was surrounding myself with loved me enough to accept me exactly as I was, but they loved me enough not to leave me that way either. They encouraged me to become more and more the person that God wants me to be. And the truth is that the people we spend time with, the people we spend the majority of our time with, change who we are, period. This happens in good, bad, and even in indifferent ways, right? The coolest time this ever happened to me, I was about 10 years old, and I was living on the northwest end of Huntington over off of Bolsa Chica and Heil, uh, near the original coffee shop, John's Coffee Shop, and... uh, and I was down, you know, I was over there and I was living in this apartment complex and, and a boy moved into the complex and he was a super cool dude. His name was Andrew and he loved to build stuff and he was really smart and he was just a super cool kid. And, you know, the thing about Andrew is that his name wasn't actually Andrew. It was Andrew. Him and his mom and dad just moved from Wales to Huntington Beach, California. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. I want to talk like you. Um, and, you know, the truth is, uh, you know, you've all had these moments in your life, right? Where there's that summer. By the way, this is really hot. And this mic is super hot. Can we? Yeah, thanks. Um, we've all had those, uh, those summers where you spend time with somebody, one of your friends, where it's like you're either at their house for dinner or they're at your house for dinner every night right? Your parents are like, do I have another kid? You know? Um, And, you know, it was so cool. I got to know Andrew and his mom and dad. Uh, And after a few months of us hanging out together, I was in the car with my mom and we were on our way to my grandma's house. 
And, you know, I don't know why I asked this question, one of those questions to fill the space and time, you know, and I just say, hey, mom, are we going to have to park on the street or are we going to get to park in the garage? Um, and my mom was like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? You know, um, and I'm like, you know, are we going to get to park? Are we, do we have to park on the street or are we going to get to park in the garage? She's like, no, 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 that's not what you said. And I was like, yeah, it is. And being 10, the only thing you know at 10 is everything. Um, and so uh, I, you know, repeatedly told her, no, I wasn't. And <clears throat> so we kind of went back and forth for a few minutes. And ultimately, I realized that subconsciously I had, in fact, said, you know, garage, not garage. <clears throat> we had a whole laugh over the thing, you know, and obviously this wasn't really a bad thing. And this wasn't even really a good thing. It was just an indifferent thing. But it shows the truth that the person I spent the most time with influenced me. Now, you maybe haven't had the opportunity to have as cool of an experience where you subconsciously speak in the accents of others, okay? Um, But I guarantee you, you have had similar experiences, right? You hang out with your best friend. You and your best friend sound very similar. Your mannerisms are the same, right? So much so that it usually annoys the people around you, okay? Okay. you know, your habits change when you start dating someone, right? You used to do this, but now you do that. Your moods change based on the people you're around. When you're around, you know, kind of like a wah, wah, you know, Debbie Downer, you know, you don't, you don't go in being like, hey. You just don't do that. First of all, maybe you don't do that anyways. I don't either. No, but if, you know, you don't go in there because you're afraid like, oh my gosh, maybe the happiness is going to rub off on them or they're going to bite my face off. Okay, like, I don't know. But the truth is that, that none of these things in and of themselves are good or bad. But as I'm sure you've experienced at some point in your life, the people, or excuse me, the effects of the people we spend the most time with is either going to be life-giving or life-destroying. There's really no in-between. No relationship is just indifferent. No real relationship is just indifferent. And the truth is, we all want to be the best versions of ourselves, too. Right? No one wakes up in the morning, starts writing their to-do list for the day, you know. Go to the bank. Clean the kitchen. Figure out taxes. Ruin my life. Okay, no one does that. No one wakes up and says, you know what would be the best thing I could do with my time today? To become the worst version of myself. No one thinks this way, right? But the proverb that is from scripture that's clear, the majority, the time, excuse me, the people we spend the majority of the time with either corrupt or bring life. And to see how true this is in the life of the disciples, I want to invite you to grab a Bible and open to the book of Acts chapter 4. Uh, you can either open your Bible app on your uh, mobile device or uh, you grab the Bible in the rack in front of you. It's on page 1093 in those Bibles. <clears throat> to understand the text that we're in this morning, I kind of want to give you a little bit of a background. The video clip we, we watched was from the, the new series AD. And, uh, and it's, it comes right before the passage that we find ourselves in this morning. 
Remember, the scripture is not a bunch of stories compiled um, that are kind of like fairy tales. They're stories that happen to real people in real places, in real times, and most importantly, with real problems. And so in this scene we saw, right, you know, Peter and John are walking around. They're going to temple and some guy asks them for money, but they don't have any. So instead they heal him and they begin to preach, right? And then you, we saw the beginning of this, this sermon, the preaching of the resurrection. And, and as they begin to do this, things start to go south really fast for them in the crowd. And this is where our story picks up in verse 1 of chapter 4. Would you read with me? <clears throat> Excuse me. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we were being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected that has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which men, excuse me, by which we must be saved. Then they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. And we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him, him being God? You be the judges. As far as us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now to see why this was such a problem, you have to kind of understand a little bit about the characters of the story, right? You have the disciples and then you have um, these, the teachers of the law and the chief priests, and then this group of people called the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were kind of like the um, traditionalists. They, were, they kind of wanted to make sure that everyone got the law right. 
Now, if you've been living in your track of homes or in your apartments or, you know, especially in your track of homes or condos, right? You know that somebody in your track is what you call code guy. You know the guy I'm talking about comes over with his direct laser ruling eyeballs and judges the height of your grass, you know, uh, and then judges you. Make sure that your house is the right color of taupe. You know, the, the person that makes sure at, that is walking over at 10 p.m. and one second saying we're going to need to keep it down, you know. And if you have done any of these things, you are code guy and knock it off. OK. <laughs> no one wants to hear you. The truth is these Sadducees were the code guys. They were the guys that said we have the code right. We have the law right. And we want to make sure that you understand it. And we're going to make sure that you know that we're right and you're wrong. And the most particular point that they did that on was the resurrection. They said there is no such thing as the the resurrection. And so what is Peter's sermon about? All about the resurrection of the dead. And it says they greatly disturbed them. And so they got into trouble. The interesting thing, though, is as they're questioning them, they take note of something. They, they say, these guys are ordinary dudes. These guys are ordinary people. They have no schooling whatsoever. And then after that, it says, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, who we're around rubs off on us. And it was true for these disciples And this is actually our big idea of the morning. So I want to encourage you to grab your outlines, uh, take notes, follow along. You remember way more of what you write down than what you simply hear. And the big idea, the the sermon in a sentence, the idea that shapes our time. And the first thing I want you to write down is that this. To live like Jesus, you need to be with Jesus. To live like Jesus, you need to be with Jesus. See, most of us, we read scriptures, especially in the book of Acts, where these guys are walking around healing people. You know, uh, they're raising people from the dead. People are dying because of the words they say. Um, Thousands of people are coming to know Jesus. Crazy stuff is happening. We're like, oh my goodness, it would be so great to be a part of something like that. I would love to be a part of something like that. And we think of it as like actions. Like, oh, I got to go do that. Oh, I got to go do this. But the truth is, The root, the thing that makes them able to do those things is not the things that they do, it's who they're with. The disciples, Peter and John, who are the characters in the story, had spent three and a half years walking around with Jesus. He died, rose again, and sent the Holy Spirit, and now they're living like him through the power of the Spirit, right? Even though he wasn't physically with them. They see a crippled guy, right outside the temple, and they're reminded. <clears throat> what, would Je- what did Jesus do in this moment? I remember a moment like this. We were walking around, and we are trying to get into church. We were hustling. We were, we, had, we were late. We had to get in there. But this guy needed help. And so instead of walking around saying, sorry, I don't have any change, what did, what did Jesus do again? Oh, yeah, he healed him. And so what did they do? They stopped and healed him. And then they remember, what was it that Jesus did every time he healed somebody? What was, it, what was it that he did again? Oh, yeah, he turned to the crowd and he started teaching. So Peter and John, what, 
turn to the crowd and start teaching. And 2,000 more men, that doesn't include women and children, 2,000 more men become followers of Jesus. Astounding. The religious elites were astonished because they were everyday people. They had no schooling, and yet they were taking these educated elites to school. They question Jesus in the same way. All right, look at what, how John describes it in John 7. I'll throw it up here on the screen. <clears throat> the Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Same thing they said about the disciples. Why, though? Because they, because they walked around and said, oh, Jesus put his foot here, and then he put his foot here, and then he, and then he healed, and then he walked in? No, because they were with him. Right? We don't have the luxury of walking around the streets of Israel with Jesus for three and a half years physically. But there are some things that we can learn from this story and some ways that we can develop our relationship of being with Jesus. And the first one I want to give you and the next thing I want you to write down is this. That just like any relationship, it requires time. Just like any relationship, it requires time. Every great relationship is the product of a great amount of time and a great quality of time. Think of it this way. Think of it like ketchup. Right. See, ketchup flows out of the glass bottle at a rate of 0.028 miles per hour. Right? Just so you know, that's six times slower than the Galapagos tortoise. Six times slower than a turtle. Okay? So, but I'm here to tell you this morning, friends, that the days of impatiently tapping the glass bottle, jamming the knife in there with no results, you know, and everybody's saying, no, 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 I got the trick. I got the trick. Nobody's got the trick. Okay? No, no, he doesn't. Okay? I am here to say that those days may be over because Dave Smith a PhD candidate at MIT and a team of nanotechnologists have offered a possible solution for the ketchup flow pandemic. Okay? After months of research, they've created and developed a, a, uh, a substance called Liquid Glide, and it has the worst definition of anything you'd put in your body ever. And I want to read it to you. It's a kind of structured liquid that's rigid like a solid, but lubricated like a liquid. Mmm. <laughs> but researchers are showing that coating the inside of the ketchup bottle with liquid glide will actually speed up the ketchup to move quicker than the Galapagos tortoise. You're welcome, Beach Point. Okay? Um, Time article concludes... Let's hope that some big ketchup industries actually pick up on this because I'm tired of waiting five minutes for ketchup to land on my cheeseburger. Right now, why do I tell you a story about ketchup? One, because it's an awesome story. (laughs) Two, because we are such a culture of immediacy. We want everything and we want it now. In fact, there's actually been phrases that we've developed that help us understand that we want it quicker than now, right? I don't want it now, but right now. 
right? Our boss who gets on us like my boss does all the time. <laughs> you know, uh, and saying, I don't want those results now. I want them yesterday or last week, if you have a real good boss, okay? Um, right, I want them yesterday. Sure, let me just jump in my, you know, police box and travel in time, okay? Like, the, the reality is there's no such thing as a microwaved relationship. Let me tell you what I mean. You can cook something in the oven, and it, it actually tastes better. Uh, it'll come out more like the recipe, but it takes a lot of time. Or you can take that thing, settle for less than the best, put it in the microwave, and have it done in five minutes. We want everything to be microwavable. But the truth is, real relationships are not microwavable. You cannot microwave a real relationship. The disciples spent three and a half years learning from Jesus. They shared life together. The truth is, you can meet and begin a relationship with Jesus in an instant. But true friendship takes time. And anyone who's married knows this to be true, right? You don't accidentally have a real, deep, and meaningful relationship with your spouse, right? You go on date nights, you buy flowers, you light candles, and sorry guys, you actually talk about your feelings, okay? Which is fine for me, I love it, okay? But for every other guy in the room, okay, ah, no, can I just buy you something that looks like feelings? Okay, you know, like, I hurt you, Uh, you know? No, it doesn't work that way. The truth is, is that there's no great relationship without great conversations. When Kristen and I, my wife and I were dating, we had this rule uh, that I couldn't leave, but I had to leave when the paper came. That's 4 a.m., okay? If it's 4 p.m. now with two kids, I'm like, dinner? Okay. But then I couldn't stop. I wanted to hear her voice. I wanted to listen to her. I wanted to talk to her because I wanted to build a relationship. And I still do that. And I still have to do those things. Only I don't do them at 4 a.m. I do them at godly hours. Um, (laughs) See, the truth is, is that quietness, solitude, prayer, reading the scriptures, these are like date nights with the Lord. Every great relationship is built on great conversations. You need to plan regular, intentional times with the Lord. Not regular, unintentional, and not irregular, intentional. Regular, intentional times with God. And the reason for this is because if you don't, you'll end up like this next point. I'll give you the point and then we'll unpack it. The next thing I want you to write down is this, that knowing about someone is different than actually knowing them. Knowing about someone is different than actually knowing them. Right, this is another one of those short statements that works in so many you know, situations. I want you to think about this like climbing Mount Everest. Say you're, say you're going to climb Mount Everest and you have two options of people to talk to. First, option one is a guy who teaches classes on climbing Mount Everest. He's watched a bunch of films. He's read a bunch of books, um, but he's never actually climbed it. Or option two, you can talk to Appa Sharp. 
a man from Nepal who has climbed Mount Everest bottom to top 21 times. I mean, I've done that, but that was way funnier, okay? <laughs> Come on. See, why would, if I gave you each of those options and you could pick either one, every time anyone who's you know, using common sense is going to pick who? Upper Sharp, Why? Because there's a difference between knowing about the mountain and actually climbing it. The Sadducees, they knew about Jesus. But they didn't know him. Right? They'd heard a lot about his teachings. But they didn't follow them. They weren't friends with him. They kept him at a distance. And the, the... the thing is, is that if, if you call me Pastor Jason, chances are you might know a little bit about me. You might know like what I do for a living. You've maybe heard me speak. Maybe you're familiar with some of my favorite topics. But because you use the title with me, you're probably, we're probably not that close, right? Or, or maybe you call me Jason. And some of my friends call me Jason, but it's usually more like acquaintances. Um, that, that call me that, uh, although that's not always true. But, but you know, some of, some of them just call me Jason. You probably know a little bit more about me. We're, we're closer. But my friends, they call me Jay or Jace or Hick or Hicktown or Hickey. Why? Because we're close. When, the, when those, either of those, any of those names get called out, I don't even need to turn around to figure out whether or not it's one of my real close friends. Because the title tells me who. Then there are those few who possess what I call exclusive rights. Things that no one else can do. Far more intimate forms of address. These are them right here. Uh, That's Finnegan, my son on the right, and my daughter Grayson on the left. These two beautiful little people... So dear to me. They can climb up on my lap. They can tickle me. Now, if you tickle me, I will punch you in the throat. Okay? Without even considering it. Like, ah! But if they do it, I'm like, oh, you're so cute. Okay, no, I don't do that. Okay. But they climb up on my lap. And they say things like, Daddy, can I have a candy? Daddy, you want to go bounce on the trampoline? Daddy, can we, can we go play ball? Daddy, can I help you make dinner? See, they call me Daddy. The title, the name, reveals the intimacy. Jesus wants you to know him intimately. Your heavenly Father wants you to abandon any sort of baggage that goes with the word dad for you to embrace and be embraced by your perfect heavenly father. To climb up on his lap and to say, dad, I need to talk. He wants a sit on his lap type of relationship. See, Intimacy is more than knowing facts. It's knowing the person. 
And this is actually the next thing I want you to write down. And the last thing that I'm going to ask you to write down today. And it's this, that deep intimacy with Christ produces bold faith in Christ. Deep intimacy with Christ produces bold faith in Christ. See, intimacy, all the word actually really means is closeness or familiarity. And so in this way, having a deep familiarity, a deep closeness with Jesus, then produces a bold faith. Like I said in the beginning of the message, a lot of us want the bold faith. We want the, I can do the signs, I can do the miracles, I can do the stuff, I can be the one that people look to and say, man, that person's really spiritual. Do we look for it by sitting on our dad's lap? Or do you look for it by doing a bunch of stuff? Right? Friends, the Sadducees recognized the relationship that mattered most to these two guys. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, imagine me coming to you and saying, whatever your, uh, whatever your best relationship is in your life, um, I want you to develop that relationship to the fullest capacity possible. I want you to develop it so wonderful and beautiful that you have this amazing intimacy and you have this amazing conversations and you have this amazing times and stories are coming out of it all the time. But there's one catch. You can only spend one hour a week with them. That's all you can spend with them, but I still expect deep intimacy. I still expect results. You would say to me, that doesn't work. That's not how it works. Then in total love and grace and gentleness, I would say to you, then why is the one hour on Sundays enough for your relationship with Jesus? You can't build a relationship in an hour. It doesn't work. And you may say, no, it's working okay for me. But then I would challenge you to say, well, then then tell me about your great times with Jesus. I sit down with person after person after person as a pastor. And they say the same thing to me. All I want to do is I want to hear God's voice. I want to hear him speak to me. I want to hear, I want to do what he says. And I always ask him the same question. Oh, great. That's so wonderful. Like, how are your times with the Lord going then? They're like, oh, well, you know, like I'm there every Sunday and like I'm listening to like worship music on the radio and like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like do bad stuff. And I said, no, 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 that's not what I asked. I said, how's your relationship going? To which the conversation usually takes a different turn. Bold faith doesn't come without paying the price of time for intimacy. Bold faith. See, the disciples in that moment showed who they spent time with. And they showed it when the Sadducees said, you can no longer speak in this name. And they said, sorry, you know about this guy, but we know him and he told us we got to talk. So we're going to. 
It can't just be external behaviors. I mean, friends, let me ask, I mean, who really cares if you stop sinning in certain ways, but you have no relationship with God? That's like going to the Thanksgiving dinner and being told in the midst of all this amazing food that all you can eat is the one hour old green bean casserole. To which, if you're that person in the room that's like, best thing on the, on the menu. Weird, okay? <laughs> because if, if, that, if most people, you tell them that, they'd be like, no, that's not what I want. That's not what I came there for. Then why do you, why do you come to Jesus and just want the green bean casserole when there's turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes and cranberries and so much more. It takes deep intimacy to have bold faith. And so as you leave today, you're going to receive this to, to, to challenge. It's an 8 to 15 challenge. If you're newer with us at Beach Point, we, we use this language all the time, 8 to 15. Uh, sociologists have discovered that every single person has roughly 8 to 15 people that they have influence on. And uh, we believe that God's placed you in a supernatural and strategic way in those people's lives, in that small little world, to make a big difference. And this, this journal uh, is going to be an opportunity for you to take that supernatural and strategic placement seriously. And I can't tell you all about it because there's so much good stuff in here, but here's what I can tell you. The boldness that will come from doing this will only happen if you start at the first page, which the first page is intimacy. Go into your room and close the door and pray to your true dad who sees you and knows you, accepts you and loves you and is longing to hear you speak to him. What if? Imagine it. Imagine a world where 100 years from now, people looked back on this small pocket of people in this small city, in this small county of a big world. And they said, what was going on? What was happening in that place in that time? Because it changed everything. I don't know about you, but if that could happen and I could be a part of it, I'm all in. And the thing that Jesus says to each and every one of us is, you will do greater things than even I did. But it doesn't begin with an hour. It doesn't begin with action, it begins with simply saying, hey, Jesus, here I am. Can we talk? And it goes from there, and it builds, just like every other friendship. And so I want to challenge you today. As we reflect to to think about where have I let my relationship with God slide Where have I let it be this thing that's not really 
that big of a deal. It's just kind of on the exterior, and when I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And maybe, maybe you're in this place where you have regular and intentional times with God, and if you are, praise God. And then I want to challenge you today to ask this question. Are your regular, intentional times with God being given away in regular and intentional ways to others? This is the call. Love him, give him away. And so where is God calling you to change? Where is God calling you to pursue him or to give him away? Would you pray with me? God, it is a miracle to me, God, who thinking about the fact that you want to hang out with me thinking about all the times that I walk away from you, thinking about all the times that I neglect you, and yet you are always faithful to me. You're always there for me. So I want to say thank you, God. And I pray right now as as we take time to pause and to think and to listen to your voice, that you would speak into the hearts and the minds of these people here today. I don't know where each and every one of them is at, but you do, God. And so I pray that you would meet them wherever they're at in the road and the journey to you. And that you would speak to them and call them, challenge and embrace. God, would you speak now for we are listening.